from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. The New York Post reports that he told an organizing barista in Long Beach, if you hate Starbucks so much, why don't you go somewhere else? Do you feel like that's an effective argument? Yeah, it seems to be backfiring. You, you can hear anyone tell you, you know, like, hey, just go get a different job, get a better paying job, right? One that works you less. But um, we're doing this union because we want to work at Starbucks. We want it to be something that's sustainable. Um, I think the company right now has been pretty clumsy and heavy-handed uh, in its opposition. You know, it's, it's just nice to be seen and heard. I'm Sarah Fenske. In recent decades, union membership has been in a state of decline in Missouri and in the U.S., but labor has recently scored some high-profile wins. That includes the unlikely unionization of an Amazon warehouse in New York. The JFK 8 warehouse was organized by a fired employee operating without the backing of labor. And in St. Louis, workers at the Route 66 dispensary on South Grand became the first Missouri cannabis dispensary to unionize. On April 4th, all eight workers at the shop voted yes. Organizer M. Holmead explains where things stand. At this point, we officially are unionized. The Labor Board uh, read the official votes. We had 100% yeses, which is an amazing absolutely an amazing thing. So at this point right now, it moves into negotiation phases. So that's when the union and us speak with the company to talk about negotiations of what we would like to see as well as what we hope for in the future. Hired in July, M. Holmead says their co-workers joined Route 66 with optimism about the new industry and excitement about working around cannabis. But M. says that feeling quickly collided with concrete problems in the workplace. Especially in Missouri, they're like, well, you know, it's only been like a little over a year since this first started. It's too new. Why are you doing, you know, this unionization so early? Like, give them a chance. And it's like, no, <laughs> There's so many types of dispensaries that already have over three, four stores. I mean, if if that's not, if they don't have money to give the employees who started with them, then why do you think they're ever going to do that? Now, M. Holmead says the workers became frustrated by a lack of defined policies around safety and discipline, as well as low pay and a reversal on promised medical benefits. All we really want is consistency with our with the procedures in the company, as well of of course, you know they are making a million dollars plus at each store per quarter, if not more. So you know, getting paid a little bit more, as well as being promised, you know, when we first came on as individuals in our interviews, they told us that benefits are on the table, like medical benefits. Come to find out, they are not on the table, and they won't be on the table for this year. So we felt like we were a little bit lied to. So it'd be nice to at least have other forms of benefits that are down on paper that they have to follow. 
Now, inspired by an organizing effort at another local dispensary, M reached out to the United Food and Commercial Workers, better known as the UFCW, and in a matter of weeks, the entire staff was on board. But M's days of being a dispensary worker were numbered. In March, the first-time labor organizer was fired from Route 66. That's just a month before the precedent-setting union vote. And Route 66 did not respond to requests for comment that we sent to the store's general manager yesterday. M doesn't have any regrets. The owners came in, interrogated me about the situation, um, and said that I was on probation. And then uh, three hours later, I got fired via email. That did wind up happening, um, which is very upsetting. But to be honest, like, I would go back and I would do it all again. Just for the sheer fact of, you know, knowing that my team is taken care of now, and they all got the chance to vote. And uh, it makes me very, very, very happy. That is M. Holmead, who helped organize the state's first medical marijuana dispensary under the auspices of the UFCW. And it is not just dispensaries. Workers at five local Starbucks recently filed a petition with the National Labor Relations Board indicating their desire to form a union. They're part of a national movement that follows the first ever unionization of a Starbucks shop this December. That happened in Buffalo. And joining us now are two of the St. Louis Starbucks workers who helped to organize their shops. Bradley Rolf works for the Starbucks at Lindbergh and Clayton in Ladue. Bradley, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. And we're also joined today by Enid Volker. She works at Starbucks's location in Bridgeton. Enid, welcome. Great to be here. So Enid, what first got you interested in forming a union at this Starbucks that you were working at? Well, quite frankly, um, you know, I'd been learning about it in my own time for quite a while at this point. Um, I feel like as as being talked about, the wider working industry is kind of trending towards getting this back in place. And one of my coworkers just approached me one day, and she was like, hey, you want to start a union? I'm like, okay. So this is something that you had been just reading up on, learning mm-hmm. about labor relations. Yes. Bradley, what about for you? Was there a sort of similar, almost academic interest before it became personal? You know, not necessarily. Obviously, it's been in the news more and more, so I've been more aware of it. You know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have had, like, I don't, you know, like, like when I was in high school, a lot of kids were getting jobs at the grocery store. I was like, well, I don't want to get to the grocery store. I'm going to have to pay union dues. I didn't really understand the full benefits of it. Um, But, you know, as the news came out of Buffalo, it's a natural conversation. Hey, did you hear about this other Starbucks, you know? What do you think about that? And the more I've looked at it, the more I'm like, you know, I think I would be on board with that. And as other partners in our stores were saying, like, well, we're talking seriously about that, I was like, well, tell me more. And then I just dove right in. Bradley, were there specific things at your store that people were saying, hey, we're not happy about this. This is something a union could change. Our store was kind of a really unique position uh, because we had heard about a lot of the grievances that people had. And we looked around and we thought, like, well, it doesn't seem to be that bad here. Uh, but one of the things we had was a store manager who was really pushing against the types of things that Starbucks was trying to bring down from uh, the corporate level. And she left uh, about two months ago. And so we saw a drastic change immediately because then corporate came in and said, oh, well, now we're going to do things exactly the way we want to. And that's part of the reason why our store mobilized so quickly and why we were the first one to file because you know, we didn't see any of this as the norm. We said, excuse me, we want to, let's slow down, pump the brakes a little bit. And they're like, no, 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 this is what's going to happen. We're like, well, 
we should do something about that. Yeah. So it sounds like that manager was kind of shielding you from this this corporate office at the point she was gone. You guys were all in. Right. And, and part of, you know, in addition to just finding a, a better position, um, you know, with better pay and better hours, she, you know, mentioned offhand to some of us, like, it was getting to be too much. I was getting burnt mm-hmm. out on all that, you know. Yeah. Enid, was it a similar situation at, at your shop in Bridgeton where overall things were okay, but... Gosh, my shop in particular is a little strange because we've had, um, during COVID, it was like very low worker count. It was like 10 or less, I think six, even at some point, managers have been cycled through. Um, But more broadly, um, just at all stores, because all of us have our own particular issues that are mobilizing us. But um, is that Starbucks hasn't been maybe delivering on the promises they thought they were going to when we were hired, not even with benefits and pay, just with like work environment. Like give us a specific example. Specific example. Well, frankly, a lot of people have been cut hours recently. This is sort of a nationwide thing. So you were promised thinking you'd get a certain number of hours a week, and that just hasn't been the reality. No notification even. It just happened. And um, we were even talking cross-store. Seemed like each of us got a different reason, like corporate just wanted to cut hours or something, and then the managers were left to justify it somehow. Yeah. And so as you're contemplating, okay, what about a union? Is there the sense that a union could help deal with that particular issue? Yes, definitely. Um, Because, you know, that would put us at a bit more of a bargaining position, mm-hmm. as is you know, historically the case with unions. And so we're hoping that in that case, we can do something about it. Right. And on top of that, you know, with something like the promise of hours, you get hired somewhere and you're like, I want to work about these many hours a week. And the person who hires you says, yes, we'll do that for you. In the state of, you know, at-will employment, you're at the mercy of your employer to determine whether they want to uphold that or not. So the very simple fact of having an organized workplace, whatever promises are given to you when you're hired, that's a legally enforceable contract. And that's more important than any other individual grievance, in my opinion. Yeah. So as you guys have been talking to your colleagues and they're trying to decide whether to sign on for this, do you hear that kind of skepticism that you said you maybe felt when you were a kid? You're thinking, oh, I don't want to be a grocery store worker because I might have to join a union. Or are people saying, hey, I don't like how things are here. I want this to change. I think that I, because of my background, I've been surprised at how many people are immediately on board. Um, You know, we've had a few detractors here and there, a few people, you know, whatever they think about unions, and that's fine. But we've seen the vast majority of our coworkers say, this is absolutely something, you know, I was just waiting for someone to ask, (laughs) right? Uh, Because there's, you know, we've lived in America for the past, you know, however long we've been here, and looking at things like, you know, wage stagnation or wage suppression even, you don't need someone to to tell you that things could be better. Enid, I'm wondering if if that's been the same with your colleagues, that there's almost that, like, you know, I I was waiting for someone to ask. Um, For the morning shift, definitely, but our night shift is, like, mostly high schoolers. So I've had the interesting task of, like, hey, do you know what a union is, first off? Yeah. A lot of them say no, and so then I have to prime them. I send them some reading materials, some videos to watch. 
over time, you know, once they get used to it, they get acquainted with it, like, you know what, that does sound like a good idea. Okay, so you're so. finding they're open to that conversation. Yes, I just have to, you know, get them into it, so to speak. So I find myself wondering about you guys and the risk that people take when they decide to form a union. You know, we heard from uh, the person who helped organize the medical marijuana dispensary. They say they were terminated because of that, and that has happened to Starbucks workers elsewhere. It's, it's been reported. Did you have any fears that by going that all in, helping to educate your coworkers, you could be putting a target on your your back. Gosh, I definitely did. I mean, that's part of the reason why we were so um, subtle about it for a large part of our organization. You had to be a little sneaky. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> so you were worried about that. Was that a worry for you, Bradley? Uh, I was I was aware of the risk. I, don't, I, I worked at Starbucks for several years, several years ago, left, did some other things, and came back, you know, last uh, summer or fall. And so just at this point in my life, I was... I was personally not afraid of being fired from Starbucks because I knew that I could figure something out and make something work. Now, that's a position of privilege I have, and so I'm glad to take on that risk and be a very vocal presence in our store. You know, while we have, you know, 70 to 80% support in our store, not everyone signed our letter to Howard because they're like, we do want this, but I don't feel like I can speak out right now. Hmm. People feel some of that anxiety. So you mentioned Howard. That's Howard Schultz, uh, now back as the CEO of Starbucks. Mm-hmm. He has said he's not anti-union. He's pro-Starbucks. That has kind of, a lot of people have some skepticism about that. Do you think that as you're um, preparing for what will be a vote, I mean, this is a, a situation where people have turned in their cards. They've said they want to have this vote. You have to have a vote. Are you expecting a big pushback from Starbucks, the, the corporate I really was because we've all heard, I think, at this point about the Buffalo stores, how they retreated. Um, and we've even had Zoom calls where we're like, we're prepped. Look, this could happen. This could happen. That could happen. Be ready for it. Here's how to recognize what's happening. Right. And so far, nothing's happened yet. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe um, with now the public understanding of what happened at Buffalo, Starbucks is a bit more concerned about their image now. They're not going to do it as much. Maybe I'm hoping anyway. Yeah, and we, we it's been kind of quiet in the stores. We haven't had, like, you know, district management knocking down the door and say, okay, everybody, like, you know, it's uh, – so we're encouraged that hopefully that means that Starbucks is willing to kind of let us, you know, exercise our legal rights in organizing, but we're also aware of their track record and, and their general position. You know, Howard can uh, say all day long that he's not anti-union, but he has a track record of being anti-union. And honestly, the union is pro-Starbucks. Mm-hmm. You know, as a large publicly held corporation, Starbucks's only accountability is to its maximizing its profits. And in order to maximize profits, one of the things you do is cut expenses. And one of the biz- biggest expenses you have is labor. As partners, which is what Starbucks calls us, we want to truly express that position of partnership and say, hey, we're on the ground floor. We are the engine of this company. We know how things need to be run in a sustainable way that is going to benefit partners and customers alike and, you know, bring Starbucks into the future as and live up to the reputation it's built. Ina, do you feel that as well? I feel exactly that because you you can hear anyone tell you, you know, like, hey, just go get a different job, get a better paying job, right? One that works you less emotionally and physically. But um, 
we're doing this union because we want to work at Starbucks and because we like working at Starbucks. We like our customers. We like our job. And we want it to be something that's sustainable for us. So when I was preparing for this conversation today, I was prepared to say that four local Starbucks had organized. And then we get the news that a fifth joined. This is in Chesterfield. They seem to be kind of coming fast and furiously at this point. Do you anticipate a domino effect where we're going to see more and more Starbucks shops signing up? Well, that certainly looks like what's been happening so far, and I'm hoping that does continue. Yes. And you had initially had some concerns about what the corporate office was doing. Do you think that's going to make a difference? If shops are are unionizing faster and faster, that'll slow down these initiatives even before you get to the bargaining point. Absolutely. I mean... It's kind of the thing where they they can't they can't stop all of us, but they really but truly like when Buffalo was the only stores organizing, they could send all the high up VPs they want. Now we're at over two hundred stores across the nation that have filed, and it seems to be growing and growing. So they obviously you know they have to think about different tactics they're going to take. Well, Bradley Rolf, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Bradley has helped to organize the Starbucks at Lindbergh and Clayton. That's in Ladue. Enid Volker, thank you so much. Thank you. And Enid is with the Starbucks in Bridgeton. We do need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear from a WashU professor who studied the workforce, studied unions, has some thoughts about what's unfolding across the U.S. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. Before the break, we heard from two Starbucks workers who persuaded at least 30 percent of their colleagues to sign on to unionization efforts. They'll have an election in a month or so. Now five local Starbucks have taken that plunge. And workers at one local medical marijuana dispensary have also voted to unionize. They're the first to do so in Missouri. So union organizers have scored some high-profile wins in recent months. And joining us today with some context on what's happening and maybe why is Jake Rosenfeld. He's a sociology professor at Washington University who studies wages, salaries, and the workplace. He's the author of What Unions No Longer Do and You're Paid What You're Worth and Other Myths of the Modern Economy. Jake Rosenfeld, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me on. So, Jake, union membership was recently as an, at an all-time low. And I feel like when we last had you on the show to talk about your book, that was a big part about what we talked about. What do you think is going on now where we're seeing um, some places organize and maybe some unlikely places organizing? Uh, it's, it's a fundamental and a great question. Uh, as you alluded to, the broader context here is still a country where our private sector unionization rate is at its lowest level on record, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking still about one in ever, out of every 20 private sector workers organized, and that compares with about one in three at the movement's peak in the mid-1950s. I've been uh, studying these issues for going on two decades now, and long enough to remember multiple times in which a union victory here or there was seen as a potential turning point. In these prior um, efforts, no point was turned, unionization 
continued to decline. Hmm. But these recent victories um, really could be something new. And uh, I would add to the kind of really impressive and fast uh, spread of the Starbucks campaign, the absolutely watershed vote we had in Staten Island at an Amazon warehouse a little over a week ago. Yeah, what makes you, what, how do these feel different? As you say, there's a lot of these Starbucks sort of tumbling like dominoes. Amazon was a big deal, but how, what makes you think this might not be the blip that, that these yeah. other cases were? Yeah, it's still early, but these are two of the most kind of quintessential companies of our day, where you ask nearly any um, American out there, they know what Amazon is, uh, especially uh, in year three of the pandemic, and they certainly know what Starbucks is. It's a ubiquitous um, feature of America's landscape. Uh, And both these companies, as was discussed with your prior guests, um, in the case of Starbucks, have been, you know, fervently Mm anti-union. And so to succeed against these firms, so Amazon now is the second largest private sector employer we have. Um, These successes would have been seen as by myself and others who follow these issues as just impossible um, as of a few years ago. And the proving that they're not, um, I think, really uh, at least provides a kind of case study of success that unions have been looking for for years now. It's interesting thinking about the Starbucks type environment, a medical marijuana dispensary. These are not the sort of factory line jobs that some of us Gen Xers might think of as as what a union job generally is. Do you think these new union jobs are different than the old union jobs in some ways? I think they will have to be if this is going to actually scale, uh, given that, you know, um, when the union movement was at its peak here, uh, one out of every three workers was connected to manufacturing, Hmm. worked in, you know, factories, worked the lines. And now we're talking about single digits of of the number of workers, the percentage of workers who work in manufacturing. So if unions are going to rebound uh, and if they're going to grow in the private sector, you're going to have to see them succeed in the service uh, industry. Uh, And that's why I think Starbucks and how quickly Starbucks has spread uh, is so encouraging for from the perspective of organized labor. So as we're looking at the decline of unions and those numbers are so eye catching, it used to be one in three private sector workers. Is that mainly attributable to the fact that there just aren't as many factory jobs or is, is there more at play here that has caused the decline of unions? Uh, It's a great question. Unfortunately, I don't have all day, but um, the kind of core (laughs) issues here. um, Absolutely. We've seen a decline in private sector unionization kind of throughout the developed world. And a lot of that has to do with the changing nature of employment, the move from manufacturing to service. Um, But the decline here was steeper and more widespread than we see in our peer countries. So take transportation. take construction, right? These aren't industries that can be outsourced or in many cases automated, um, but yet we saw steep, steep declines uh, in unionization in uh, industries not prone to automating, not prone to shipping uh, uh, shipping facilities overseas. And that speaks to, I think, decades of employer resistance uh, that proved incredibly successful for a long, long time. So you talk about employer resistance. Boy, is that a great transition to talk a little bit about Amazon. They are objecting to this union vote in Staten Island. How much power do they have in this situation? Do you think this organization that happened there is something that they can get overturned. 
Yeah, it's a great question. So um, you don't want to take anything away from this victory. Uh, in terms of scale, you know, the Staten Island facility employs about 8,000 workers, the equivalent of around 400 Starbucks. So in terms of sheer size, this one victory for the union is the equivalent of 400 successful Starbucks unionization votes. So this is um, huge in terms of it's numbers. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it's just the beginning, as you mentioned, of a long process to deliver on what the union uh, organizers had promised the workforce. Um, and negotiations will not be easy. The company has plenty of tools at its disposal, as it's already using some of them, to kind of drag out the process, reduce the morale of the supporters, and really play hardball when negotiating a first contract. Uh, that's why, you know, looking to the Starbucks campaign, I think it's so critical for the uh, Amazon win to spread. Uh, because having to combat a union at just one location is relatively easy for as deep-pocketed and massive a corporation as Starbucks is. But if these efforts spread like we've seen at Starbucks, it becomes more difficult for the company to fight on multiple fronts. So this is a little bit of a digression, but personally, I'm, I'm so intrigued by the fact that this Amazon warehouse was unionized by somebody who didn't have the backing of one of these big national unions. Does that also give this fledgling union attempt a much tougher road to hoe? Um, it might. Um, and, you know, here things are so recent that a lot of what I can offer is pretty speculative. Mm -hmm. And certainly if you had asked me last year about the chances of a Amazon warehouse successfully unionizing by, as you mentioned, an independent union, mm -hmm. um, I would have bet my child's admittedly minuscule college fund that the union would lose. Um, I'm glad you didn't I do that, have, Jake. That would have no, not been good for your that, child. No, no, or family relations in general. Um, I would have been wrong, but I was not alone. I mean, kind of the idea that a union would gain a toehold with this massive company um, after decades of decline seemed far-fetched, and an independent union at that. That said, now, I mean, I think there were some advantages to being independent in the election itself. Mm -hmm. But now kind of partnerships with established unions that have, you know, decades of negotiating um, skill sets and expertise behind them will be, I think, pretty important. And you've already seen some of those partnerships being made. So that sort of brings us to Starbucks, which is more of a traditional situation. You know, you have this big corporation. Now you have the old CEO, Howard Schultz. He has come back, um, and he's been kind of having these interactions with these young union organizers that haven't always gotten him the headlines that he wanted. The New York Post reports that he told an organizing barista in Long Beach, if you hate Starbucks so much, why don't you go somewhere else? Do you feel like that's an effective argument for the sort of you know, worker-led campaigns we're seeing in these places today? Yeah, it seems to be backfiring. Um, I think the company right now has been pretty clumsy and heavy-handed uh, in its opposition, um, not only doing things like, you know, berating <laughs> some of your workers, but firing head organizers just as a store is about to vote on unionization. These are pretty common tactics that have worked for employers for decades. Right now, in the midst of a very, very fast-moving and successful campaign, where I think um, the union has only lost one out of nearly two dozen votes. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't working. Uh, and I think Starbucks will have to kind of regather and rethink what tactics they're going to use going forward. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're in um, a rare environment of incredibly low unemployment, 
job openings everywhere, um, where the conditions are ripe for workers um, to take the risks that accompany a unionization campaign, and you're seeing some of the fruits, fruits of their successes at Starbucks right now. Yeah, it is interesting, this this argument like, oh, you can't cause trouble or you might be fired. Workers are kind of in demand right now. Workers can say, okay, go ahead and fire me. There's a, a coffee shop that wants to hire me down the street. Do you think that's going to be a significant factor as these corporations try to stop this movement? Yeah, I think it's absolutely huge. And I think that if this is going to prove to be a turning point for the labor movement writ large, uh, you are going to have to see this scale and scale quickly, because one thing we can count on is that very tight labor markets, you know, job openings everywhere and workers rare, uh, you know, workers in high demand, that will not last forever. Uh, and when the, once the economy turns, it, the kind of organizing train just gets much more difficult. So earlier we heard from M. Holmead, who organized uh, Missouri's first medical marijuana dispensary to be unionized. M. says that union drives at other dispensaries, as well as those in other industries, suggest a broader trend. Seeing those stories, I feel like we're all connected in some way. We're all having this movement together in different parts of the country, in different subsections of different types of jobs. We, we hold the power of this workforce. So I really personally feel like it is such a blessing to even be a part of that journey with everyone else that is going through the same thing right now. And when I see the wins of Starbucks and Amazon, as well as other types of businesses, um, I, it, it's just, it makes my heart full because <laughs> uh, I, I, I know the struggle and, you know, I think we've all worked in workplaces that, you know, you don't feel like you're taken care of. You don't feel like you're being seen. Um, things that you say or ask or request of the company, they're dismissed. So, you know, it's, it's just nice to be seen and heard. And that is M. Holmead, who helped organize uh, Missouri Medi- Missouri's first medical marijuana dispensary to be unionized. Jake Rosenfeld, what strikes you in, in listening to their thoughts there? Uh, it, it's absolutely inspirational, and it kind of um, reflects what we're seeing in more and more survey research on the topic. So Gallup has been um, asking Americans whether they approve or disapprove of unions going back almost nine decades now. And right now, about two-thirds of, um, the, uh, of uh, the population reports that they approve of unions. And that's incredibly high, especially given that most of us are not in a union. Uh, and so there does seem to be this moment. And um, what we know from other work is that they are, unions are especially popular among younger workers, as we've seen mm-hmm. uh, in your interviews, in the Starbucks campaign, in the Amazon campaign. These are oftentimes led by younger workers who've decided that the old rules of the workplace um, are not working for them and are really taking the initiative here. So this is such an interesting moment in time, and I imagine it's particularly interesting for you since this is a topic you have been studying for years. It's all prepared you for this moment. What are you going to be watching as these union drives continue to unfold across the U.S.? Yeah, it's a great question. I think given the kind of um, scale that I mentioned earlier, watching Amazon will be absolutely key. That you, if it stays confined to one warehouse on Staten Island, then I would worry about whether this is just one of those kind of lost moments of years past. But if that really takes off uh, kind of uh, jointly with the success of the Starbucks campaign, um, then I think we, you know, there really could be something uh, brewing, to use a 
metaphor uh, here. And uh, that, you know, that would represent a kind of sea change of what I've been used to seeing for um, years and years in which I've been studying these issues. Well, Jake Rosenfeld, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Jake is a sociology professor at Washington University. He is the author of What Unions No Longer Do and You're Paid What You're Worth and Other Myths of the Modern Economy. This episode was produced by Jane Mather Glass and Danny Wisentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.